The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Amen and amen. Good morning, church. Well, why don't you hold your Bible, lift it up real high. We're going to get into the Word. You ready for the Word? Shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's Word. And my life will never be the same because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're still resetting uh, into 2019. Amen. The series is reset. And last week we were talking about how you can reset your heart uh, in relation to finances. Amen. And this week we're talking about how you can reset your life by resetting your thinking. Amen. Because the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Say, he didn't say, as a man thinks in his heart, so will you become. So a man is his thoughts. Amen? So let's go now to Romans chapter number 12, verse 2. That's where we're going to start. Romans chapter number 12, verse 2. Thank you, Jesus. You know, one of the things I've learned uh, in reading scripture is that the Bible is pregnant. Amen. And by that, I mean it has facets upon facets of revelation uh, that is in the verses that God has given us. And one of the things you could uh, do to do yourself a disservice is to think that you have become fully aware of a particular verse in the Bible. Yeah, right. Amen. Because as you go into it, you realize how much more you need to learn from it. Amen. So I've been reading Romans chapter number 12, uh, verse 2, for close to 10 years now. And it's amazing how it always ministers to me. And it's amazing how much uh, uh, jewels, if you will, uh, are in this verse. So today we're going to dig for some great jewels. Amen. It says in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. That word prove is an awesome, awesome word uh, in in this particular verse. The word prove there means so that you may manifest. Uh, That word prove means so that you may bring to reality. You know, I grew up in a... Uh, in an environment where we were compelled to uh, just cram scripture. Uh, uh, there was not much emphasis about on, on bringing that scripture into reality. And this verse here is saying, you need to bring that scripture into reality. You need to manifest it. You need to taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, you can't just regurgitate a verse about healing. You need to get healed. Yeah, that's right. That's true. You can't just regurgitate verses about prosperity. You need to start walking in it. Yeah, amen. And so he uses this word carefully. He said, so that you may prove, so that you may manifest what is that good 
acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, the will of God is always good. It's always acceptable. And it's always perfect for you. Amen? God has good intentions for you. And those intentions can be made manifest in your life. God has good intentions about your finances. He has good intentions about your marriage. He has good intentions about your health. He has good intentions about your well-being. But those intentions can be made manifest when we begin to follow the process of Romans chapter number 12 verse 2. And it starts by this. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And that word conform means to be poured into a mold. You know, when a blacksmith uh, wants to make a sword or wants to manipulate iron into, you know, another shape, what he usually does is he turns that iron into liquid iron. And he takes the liquid and he pours it into a mold. And whatever mold he pours it into, that's the mold and that's the shape that that iron is going to take. Similarly, you know, you and I have life challenges that will melt us. But thank God we get to pick the mold which is based on God's word. We don't have to be conformed. We don't have to be shaped by our circumstances. We don't have to be shaped by our environment. And that's what this verse is saying. Do not be shaped by the world. Amen? Amen? So you can either be blessed or stressed. Conforming means you're stressed. You can either be a victim of your circumstances. This is just the way it is. This is just the way I am. I was born on the wrong side of the railway line. That's what they mean when they say, you know, the wrong side of the tracks. I was born on the wrong side of the railway line. You know, you may have all kinds of excuses, but guess what? Here the Bible is given it as an instruction. Do not be conformed. Don't let yourself be shaped by your environment. Amen? And he says again, do not be conformed to the world. That word world is not talking about the cosmic world. He's talking about a system of thinking. He's saying don't be conformed to a system of thinking that governs the world. Amen? I said amen. Amen. See, because the way to be conformed is to uh, start living your life based on the thought system of the world. Amen? And God does not want you to think the way the world thinks. Let me give you an example. When it comes to prosperity, in the world, if you want to prosper, what do you do? You get all you can. Can all you get and sit on the can or sit on your can, you know? In other words, you do all you can to get ahead in life. In the kingdom of God, if you want to prosper, what do you do? You give it away. You don't let it take a hold of you at a heart level. These are two different systems, and they are running at the same time. And the question, based on Romans chapter number 12, verse 2, is what is it going to be? Is it going to be the world system or the kingdom system? Now, what's interesting about the book of Romans is he's writing to the saints, not the ains. He's writing to church folk. He's writing to people in the church in the city of Rome. If you read, you know, the introduction, he says this is the letter to the saints at Rome. So he's talking to church people, which means it's a possibility that you could be in church, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, but think in a corrupted manner. Hallelujah! Ouch. 
He says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be that. Notice he didn't say, but it would be a good idea if you could consider transformation. He says it as a divine imperative. And every time you see God say something like this as a divine imperative, it's two things happening. Number one, he knows you can do it. Because it would be unkind for God to tell you or to instruct you to become something that you can't. God can't say to Tafara, be a woman. I can't. It's not going to happen. So it would be unkind for God to tell you to do something that you cannot do. Amen. And in this verse, he knows fully well that you can be transformed. And he says, be that. Be transformed. The second reason uh, 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 when God gives a divine imperative, what we should pay attention to is that it's for your benefit, it's for your advantage. Everything that God tells you to do is to your benefit. So he says, be transformed. That word transformation, again, most of you know it. It's in the Greek metamorpho, where we get the English transliteration metamorphosis, which is basically a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. So God is saying there is a transformation. There is a change that is available for you and me that is as radical as a caterpillar, a creature in the dirt, crawling in the dirt, eating in the dirt. And that creature is also blind. And it possesses uh, uh, chemicals that can also make you blind. So not only is it blind, it has the ability to make others around it blind. And Jesus is saying, you can be transformed through the mouth of the Apostle Paul. You can be changed to where you can move drastically and radically from being a caterpillar to where you can become a butterfly, a creature that is colorful, floating in the air, not in the the ground, eating off of flower petals. (laughs) And this creature has ultra vision. One of the best vision, it sees better than humans. I think they say a thousand times better than humans, a butterfly can see. How do you get to move from such a place of, 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 of death and, 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 and impossibility and just struggle to a place of thriving and enjoying the blessings of God? I'm glad he tells us. He says, be ye transformed How? I didn't hear that. Come on, let's say it together like a choir. Notice it didn't say by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is great. We just came out of our fasting period, but that's not how you get transformation. It's amazing how when God tells something to the church, the church wants to reinvent it and do something else. He didn't say be transformed by getting the pastor to lay hands on you. He says, be transformed by changing the way you think, by renewing your mind. In other words, be changed by taking God's word and using God's word to reprogram your mind. See, your mind is like a software. And, you know, just like the software in the phone, uh, uh, every now and again you need uh, an update to help you counter, you know, bugs, uh, a speed, and so on and so forth. It's the same thing with God's word, and we call it discipleship. 
That's why he didn't say, uh, be transformed by a renewed mind. Because if he had said that, a renewed mind would have been an event, an occurrence. But he says, be transformed by the renewing, I-N-G, it's a present continuous tense. Be transformed by continuously doing this one thing, renewing and changing the way you think. And making yourself think in line with God's word. Now what's amazing about all of this is this was Jesus' first message when he walked on the earth. His first sermon was repent. You remember? Repent. That word in the Greek is metanoia. Re, you know, it's two, uh, it's a compound word. Two words put together. Re, R-E, which means to go back. Pent, which means top where we get penthouse. So what he's saying is go back to the top. Go back to thinking higher thoughts. That's what he says in Isaiah chapter number 55. He said, let the wicked man forsake his thoughts. Because what makes the man wicked is not his actions. It's his thoughts. He had to think about it first. Oh, no, pastor, you know, I was just minding my own business. Then I fell on top of her and my zipper was open. No, 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 you thought about it. Okay, all right, okay. No, you thought about it. Yeah. You had a strategy. Yeah. Amen. It was a thought. So he says, let the wicked man forsake his thoughts. So if he forsakes his thoughts, what's he going to have? He tells you. He says, and take on my thoughts. You know why? Because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Yeah. My ways are higher than you. See, your thoughts can only produce the caterpillar life. But when you take on his thoughts, his thoughts starts producing the butterfly life. The transformed life. The life above life circumstances and life challenges. The, li- the, the, the life that's not controlled by its surrounding. The life that is completely submitted to God. In Numbers chapter number 11, the people were tired of eating manna. So they went to Moses. They said, Moses, we're tired of eating manna. We want meat. We want a bride. Go and read it. He said, man, we're tired of manna. We want a bride. So Moses went to the Lord and he said, Lord, you heard them. And the Lord said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Because of your complaining and murmuring, I'm going to give you meat. But I'm not going to give you meat for a day or for five days or for ten days. I'm going to give you meat for a month. And Moses was in the caterpillar level of thinking. He went back to God and he said, Lord, how are you going to do that? See, every time you ask the question, how are you going to do that? You're already on caterpillar level. He started putting together math as it pertained to what was around him. He said, Lord, look at how much beasts we have. Look at all the fish in the sea. Even if we were to put it together, there is no way. We can feed these millions of people. And the Lord said, Moses, you're not going to have to worry about it. I'm going to put my spirit on someone else so that they can speak it into existence. See, God always works with someone, but God always brings what he wants to pass, but it has to go through someone. See, God said to Moses, listen, I'm going to bring it to pass. But here's what I'm going to do. Call the 70 elders. So the 70 elders came and God put his spirit of impossibility, knowing no limits on these elders. And these elders just started prophesying. 
They started saying, man, God is going to feed us. He is going to feed us abundantly. They didn't even know what they were saying. But as they spoke it into existence, the Bible said quail came from the east, the west, the south, and the north. And, man, it was quail up to waist level. They had meat. Can you imagine going to a bride and meat is up to waist level? They were swimming in meat. Just as the Lord said. Amen? You know why? Because God knows no impossibility. See, when you're in the butterfly life, you may look like you're crazy sometimes. You know why? Because you're believing the impossibility. But how do you get yourself to be at the butterfly level? You start thinking in line with his word. Let's go to Ephesians chapter number 3, verse 20. But before we do that, Let's read, uh, in fact, let's go to Ephesians. We're going to skip a whole lot of stuff here. Um, okay. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, is a what? New creature. All things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. You know the scripture? 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, everything has become new. And by process of elimination, we know that it wasn't your body that became new. Because if you were, you know, bold before you got saved, you'll still be bold after you get saved. So your new creature is not talking about your body. Uh, You know, we know it's not your mind. It's not your soulish realm. Because if you were tripping before you got saved, guess what? (laughs) Most people still tripping. Amen. But it was your spirit that became brand new. Why? Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 17... Uh, just as he is, so are we in this world. We know that part, right? So your spirit became brand new. But the other two-thirds needs you to work on them. The first part being your soul, where your mind and your will, your emotions are. Man, you need to work on your mind. You need to work on your will so that you can choose life. You need to work on your emotions so that they're always in check with God's word. In fact, the Bible says of your emotions, delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. All you have to do is to delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord will begin to give you desires that are in line with his word and with his plans and purposes and intents for your life. Amen. Amen. That's called putting your emotions in check. Now watch what he says in James chapter number 1 verse 21 concerning your soul. James chapter number 1 verse 21. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and all superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to what? I didn't hear that. He says, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, this is the apostle James writing to the church that he pastored in Jerusalem. And he's saying, essentially, your souls are not saved. If you read it in reverse. Did you see it? He's talking to the people he pastored. And he's telling them, your souls are not saved. The way to save your soul after you get born again is to receive with meekness. Receive with a teachable spirit. Say that after me. Receive Receive with a teachable spirit. There's a difference between receiving with a teachable spirit and receiving to scrutinize. He says there's a thing called soul salvation. You know, you used to think soul salvation is what we do when we go to the streets and we evangelize. No, that's not soul salvation. 
Soul salvation is what we do every single day when we teach God's word. Soul salvation is what we do at Life Group. What are we doing? We are saving your soul by giving you the engrafted word. And the engrafted word is the potential. He says, which is able to save your soul. What does that mean? That means the engrafted word of God is like seed. And just like seed in the natural, it does not bring any fruit sitting on your table. Just like seed in the natural won't bring fruit sitting on your dashboard. You know, I used to think the Bible was some religious object you could use. No, the Bible is a bag of seeds. Amen? Amen. You know, I had a Bible, a King James Version, uh, uh, the original one, the one God, you know, uses. And uh, I had it in my car. In 2002, I had it in my car, and I thought that it would protect me from all the evil spirits. Man, the car flipped, I think, five times, and I was in it. Threw the Bible away. Can you imagine? The car threw the Bible away. No regard for the Bible. You know why? Because as long as you haven't put it in your heart, it's not going to bring any fruit. See, I used to think you could use the Bible as some magic object. You know, in the horror movies, when the Dracula comes approaching, Dracula, Dracula. The vampires come up with you. <laughs> no, you have to take that word and put it in your heart so that it can start germinating and bringing forth fruit. Amen? Amen. It's the only way you're going to see some transformation in your life. Yeah. And he's saying here, you receive with meekness the engrafted word, and that engrafted word is able to save your soul. It will begin to bring a, 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 a different perspective towards life. It will begin to change your life for the better. Amen? Watch what he says in Ephesians chapter number 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter number 3, verse 20. This is awesome. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, verse 20. It says, Now unto him who might be him. Him is God, right? So he's talking about what's on God's side of the ledger. He's talking about God's ability. This is the Apostle Paul writing. And he throws in all these adjectives, these descriptive words, and he just can't get enough in. He says, now unto him that is able. I can picture the Apostle Paul sitting in in, in a prison, writing to the church at Ephesus, and trying to, you know, give them a picture of God's ability. And he writes and he says, now unto him was able. See, that would have worked, because God is able. But he says, no, this doesn't do it. And he adds one more word. He says, now unto him was able to do. He says, he still doesn't cut it. Now unto him was able to do exceeding. Notice he didn't say exceedingly. He said exceeding. Exceeding what? Whatever you may think. Exceeding what? Whatever your level is. Exceeding what? (laughs) Whatever your budget is. Exceeding what? Whatever your timeline is. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can think or ask. And then here's the limiter. Now he's switching over from God's side of the ledger to your side of the ledger. And he throws in that word according. Someone say according. According. That word according means in proportionate to. 
Man, that's awesome. He says God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think in proportionate to something. In proportionate to the power that works in us. In other words, in proportionate to how much you let him. I never used to let God do much in my life. You know why? Because my thinking was corrupted. And God has set up the system in a way that for him to do something in my life, he has to work through my heart. He has to work it through my thinking. If I can't get my thinking right, God can't do it for me. Some of you don't believe that. Let's go to Numbers chapter number 13. Let me show it to you in a real life story. Numbers chapter number 13. We're going to read from verse 1. Numbers chapter number 13, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am what? Okay, which I give. That's fine. But if you read in the New King James Bible, let's go to the New King James Bible. It's the same meaning. It's the same meaning. I'm not trying to trick you, but I want you to see this. I'm not trying to trick you. He says, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am what? I didn't hear that. Come on, say it with passion. Now, question. Question. If someone came to you, Pastor Henry, and he said, I would like for you to go and inspect the Mercedes GLE 350D, fully loaded, at the dealership, which I am giving to you. What does that connote? Anybody? What does that mean? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. So she says, I'm going to get a car and I'm going to own it. But there's a word I'm looking for. I'm going to get a car and I'm going to get it. And, and I didn't hear that. I'm going to possess. Yeah, there's a word I'm looking for. It's, a, it's an important word in this transaction. Someone has come to you and they said, I am giving it to you. It's for free. It's for free. What that means is it's got nothing to do with my budget. If someone came to me and said, hey, listen, I need you to go and inspect the car which I am giving to you. What that means is it's, it's not on me. It's on that person who's giving. So the ability has nothing to do with me. All I have to do is to trust their ability. So in other words, uh, if, you know, uh, a street vendor came and said that to me, I'm probably not going to go to Mercedes. (laughs) But if Bill Gates came and said that to me, I would probably stop preaching. Right now. Right now. And go to Mercedes. (laughs) What made me go to Mercedes was my perception of the givers. Oh, man, y'all, y'all learning. Y'all learning. The reason why some of you don't believe big is because the perception of God's ability in your mind is equivalent to that of a street vendor. Oh, man, this is good preaching. God is saying, hey, go to Mercedes. I'm trying to give you this car. Most of you are saying, no, God, I know you can't do it. We don't say it in these words, but we say it in our action. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. 
Now, God said, I am giving it to you. Now, how much, how much can God do? He can do exceeding, abundantly, above, all we can ask or think. Now, let's say the biggest army in the world is the United States of America. Let's say uh, 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 the army, uh, 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 the navy from the U.S. were in the land. Could God still give this land to the children of Israel? Yes. Why? Because his ability is exceeding, abundantly, above all. Amen. So they needed to match what's on the other side of the E320 life. I call it the E320 life, the Ephesians 320 life. They needed to match what's on the other side of the word according with what's prior to the word according. See, the struggle is to get to match your heart with the exceeding abundantly above all lifestyle. That knows God can do everything. That's where the struggle is. So God told them, just go and inspect this land. Go and inspect this car I am giving to you. He didn't say go and talk to the dealership about the price. He didn't say go and talk to the dealership about your budget. He didn't say go and show your, the, the dealership your, your, your bank statement. He didn't say any of that. He said you go and spy out the land that I am giving to you. And they went to spy out the land and this is what they did. Verse 31. But the man who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. Hey, who, who, who said you are the ones going up against these people? The instruction never said you are going up against these people. The instruction said, I am giving it to you. And we know <laughs> that after all was said and done, God asked, gave them a a, a, a little homework to take possession of the land. He said, all you have to do is to walk around six times. Just walk around six times quiet. You know, just walk around six times quiet. And on the seventh time, on the seventh day, walk around seven times. And on the seventh time, just shout as loud as you can. Shout for what? For victory. See, God is going contrary to what they would have done in the natural. See, if you're going to attack a nation like that, like uh, Jericho, and at the time, Jericho was one of the strongest nations with the strongest army. In fact, the walls of Jericho were as wide as 30 to 40 meters. They would race horses on top of the walls to intimidate their enemies. So you attack a nation like that, you go tiptoeing, you know, just as quiet as you can, and then, you know, you try and sneak in. God says, shout! Blow your cover! Because it's not you. Same thing he said to King Jehoshaphat. You know, you tiptoe to go and attack the enemy. God said, go singing so that they know you're coming. God, but we're going to blow our cover. It's not, see, God even told them, it's not, the battle is not even yours. Amen. The battle is mine. See, the exceeding, abundantly, above all we can ever ask or think is not on our side of the ledger. It's not based on what the doctor said. It's not based on the prescription. Thank God. It's based on God's ability. Oh, my goodness. It's based on what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus paid the price in full so that you and I could have access to the kingdom. Amen? Amen. And they said, man, the man that we saw in the land, we are not able to go up against them 
for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants and the descendants of Anak uh, that come of the giants, and we were like, what, grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. Man, they went and they started looking to their own strength, to their own ability. And it limited what God could do through them. Can I get an amen? amen. And Joshua and Caleb said, hey, we are well able. We can take care of this. Read verse 30. In verse 30, uh, Joshua and Caleb said, uh, he quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. He had a possibility mindset. Amen. Why? Because his mind had been renewed to think in line with God's power, not their own power and their own ability. Amen? So you can limit God through your thinking. Psalm 78 verse 41. Man, you're going to have to think differently in 2019. Amen? amen. Someone shout 2019. I'm thinking big. Shout 2019. 2019. I'm thinking big about miracles. I'm thinking big about healing. I'm thinking big about God's love for me. I'm thinking big about his provision. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you've got to think big. He says in this... Uh, uh, 41 of Psalm 78, making a commentary to what we just read. It says in verse 41, Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Did you see it? It says, man, they limited what God wanted to do through them. God was sending this big river and they connected just a little horse Oh no, let me make it better for your, for your imagination. God was sending this big ocean and they came with a teaspoon to scoop it up. To scoop it up, man. Let's, let's scoop as much as we can. See, we can limit God. The limitations is never on God's side of the ledger. It's always on us. And what we think God can do. And the timelines that, see, I sit with a lot of people and sometimes I listen to these timelines and I'm thinking, man, you don't have that much time to be waiting for things to happen. 20, 30 years. Man, we need things to move right now so we can get this gospel reaching the nations. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Man, we need you to be a billionaire today so we can buy our own building. Yeah, that's right. We don't have much time to waste. Yeah, that's right. Amen. So we can limit God. And one of the other ways we limit God, let's go to Mark chapter number 6. We want to read from verse 4 to 6. Mark chapter number 6, verse 4 to 6. Thank you, Jesus. But Jesus said to them in verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Did you see it? He said a prophet is without honor except in his own country among his own relatives, in his own house. He's saying, uh, familiarity limits God. He's saying a lack of honor limits God. A lack of honor for what, Farah, you may ask? A lack of honor for 
for the scripture. Familiarity with the scripture. You know, sometimes John 3.16, oh, I heard that, I know that. And God is trying to show you some revelation that will radically change your life. But you're too familiar. Hallelujah. You know, uh, uh, this week someone sent me an article. uh, uh, Honor is a big part of what we do as Christians. You know, and it's sad that we live in a, in a culture that is uh, uh, completely uh, full of dishonor. People just live their lives at a place of dishonor. They dishonor authority. They dishonor uh, 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 spiritual leaders. They dishonor. Uh, 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 and, and here I'm not even talking about honoring uh, a man. I'm talking about honoring God. You know, someone sent me an article, and it's a, one of the famous ministers in our country who confessed to having an affair and a love triangle. And I sat there, and I was thinking about it. I was thinking, what, what could be the root cause of this issue? Because this man is, knows exactly how marriage functions. He goes from city to city teaching people about marriage, and he goes and he does this. What could be the root cause? And God said to me, all sexual sin comes from a dishonor, a heart of dishonor. Yeah. Remember Joseph? The reason he didn't commit sin with Potiphar's wife was because he honored God so much. Amen? Bestiality. It doesn't matter what it is. All sexual sin is rooted in dishonor for Jesus. Not for man. It's got nothing to do with Tafara. It's got nothing to do with spiritual authority. But when you honor God, you stop honoring self. See, because when you go and commit that sin, you're putting an emphasis on self and how I feel. It doesn't matter what it is, adultery, fornication, uh, homosexuality, whatever it is. All sexual sin is based on a framework of dishonor. When you start honoring God, just like Joseph, you'll say, man, I respect God so much. What I feel like is irrelevant. See, if we have real men in here, some of you, some of them will tell you, man, sometimes I'm walking through the mall and I see a beauty, a beauty, beauty, beauty. <laughs> but guess what? I respect God too much. I honor God way too much to do that. In fact, if you want longevity in anything that God has called you to do, You need a culture of honor. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 6 verse 2, even children, honor your father and your mother, and he puts in brackets, this is the first commandment with a promise. Man, you don't have to go far. Just go on social media. You see these spoiled brats dishonoring their parents. We already know they're not going to live that long based on this verse. Because honor stops the flow of longevity when you have a dishonor. Amen? And he's talking about your natural parents. How much more God, your heavenly father. Man, we need to cultivate a, a, a culture of honor when you come into the presence of God. You know, I thank God for my background sometimes. I grew up in an Anglican church, and man, they had a lot of honor, but some of it was external. Man, when you walk into the church building, that cell phone is off before you even take the second step in the church. And you walk up to the altar, man, you bow down before the altar, and you go and you sit quietly. <laughs> you don't play in the house of God. It was just for the house, but how, how better if we did that out there? Yeah. 
and honor God in our hearts. He says here, a prophet is without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives. What is he saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. You start treating it cheaply. Now, watch the net effect of that. Now he could do no mighty works. Now, read that with me. Now he could do, notice he didn't say he would do no mighty works. He didn't say he wouldn't. He said he couldn't. Did you see it? He wanted to, but couldn't. What stopped him? Dishonor. Because honor opens the channels. It says, honor your father and your mother, and it shall be well with you, and you'll have length of days. Amen? I said amen. Amen. He says there, he could do no mighty works except he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. Now watch what happens in the next verse. When dishonor is fully manifested, it goes into what is known as dis or unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. See, when dishonor is fully manifested, it becomes unbelief. You know why? Because the enemy... See, this is not a social gathering. When we come together, God says in his word, where two or more are gathered in my name. When when we start living uh, a life of honor, we start realizing that uh, this is not just another social gathering. See, I've never been late to a church meeting because I've always been cognizant of the fact that I'm going to meet with God and fellow believers. See, so I'm not going to a social gathering. I'm going to a God meeting. That's honor. Amen? Amen. I said amen. Amen. I remember a few years ago, and I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to help you. Honor is a big part of what we do as children of God. Amen? You know, I remember a few years ago, uh, we used to start service at 9.30. And I mean, half the church would come at 10. So I had a brilliant idea. I said, you know what, since everybody's coming at 10, let's move the time from 9.30 to 10.30. And the whole church is going to be 30 minutes early. Oh, no. Oh, no. They would still show up at 11. You know why? It wasn't the clock that needed fixing. It's the heart. See, I'm telling you, when you start filling up your heart with honor, you open the channels and God begins to flow. And you see, when you have honor for God, if God says, I'm giving it to you, you will know that God is giving it to me. You know why? Because you have respect for everything that God does and for his power and for his word. And I have to stop because we're out of time. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.